Listener Production. Hello and welcome to another edition of Willow Talk. Great to have your company, Adam Peacock, here with Brad Haddon in the studio. Hats, welcome back. How are things? Mate, good to be back. I'm uh, looking forward to getting right into this first test against New Zealand. Mm. A few interesting selections. Um, mm. Jemison's out. Um, he's a huge out for, Big for blow. the Kiwis. But off a 3-0 2020 win, do, do Australia take any momentum from that or is this just a totally different game? It was pretty much a clean sweep back in 2005 for Australia over there with a T20, uh, five one-dayers and two of the three tests won by Australia. Rain stopped at becoming yep. a clean, clean sweep. And one of the members of that squad, Michael Kasparitz, is going to join us a bit later on, not only to talk about that, but a whole range of things that went on in an amazing period for Australian cricket because he was involved in the 05 Ashes uh, yep. series. Obviously, he was involved in 01 against India over there, that monumental series. And a good tourist on that to believe, Hats. Well, what Casper is a really good storyteller. So it'll be good to listen to some of Casper's stories. He, he was around in, in that great era hmm. of Australian cricket. You have McGrath, Gillespie, Lee, Caswich, Bickle on, on the sidelines. But the other thing that'll be really good to hear from him because he bullied New South Wales a lot. Casper <laughs> and Bick tried to bully New South Wales for a long time. A very long time, yeah. So uh, we'll talk to Casper to about that. And I want to ask him about this rumour that he, he actually got a, an internal newsletter going just to keep things vibrant. True story. Tour. True story. Let okay. him tell you about it. We'll let him tell us about it a bit later on. Casper coming up later on on Willow Talk. Remember to hit us up on TikTok, Instagram. The numbers are good and keep them going good. Thank you very much for everyone who uh, gets involved there. Just search Willow Talk Podcast. Eddie Nell from South Africa. Ask Hads on TikTok. And this is a good question, Eddie. So thank you for this. Which Australian cricketer would you choose, Hads, to come out of retirement and why? It is a good question. And the obvious one straight away you go for, for my era and what I've seen is, is McGrath, Warren. You'd love to stand at the other end and, and learn from Bradman. But the one I'm going to say, a bit left field, hmm. is Jeff Thompson. Jeff Thompson. The, and the reason being is because I had the luxury to, to keep to – Brett Lee, face show back to um, not quite at uh, his best, but and also Sean Tate. And mm. They tell me at times in different parts, normally up in Queensland, Casper could probably answer this, but Jeff Thompson was quicker than everyone. Yeah. So I, I'd like to see that. Uh, yeah, your speed gun was how hard it was hitting gloves, and I dare went say went over my head. <laughs> there are stories of Jeff Thompson at, in grade cricket all around Sydney and all around the place. Yeah that he would actually hit the sight screen on yep. the full with bounces. Yep. And that's why I want I, – I, I would like to see that life. I've been lucky enough to see guys bowl 160, hmm. kept a tatty when he bowled the ball at um, 161, and I, I've never, ever seen anything quicker than that. So it would be great to just stand and catch a couple of balls to Jeff Thompson. What would Jeff Thompson go for in an IPL auction? If it was him at his peak and him right now – at that peak going into an auction in 2024. Well, he's a bit of a showman, so mm. he'd suit the, the IPL. Starkey just went for four. Mm. Camo went for three, so I'm saying around that mark. Between three and four, yeah. Take that? Oh, yeah, tomorrow. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into this preview of the test yep. series, which starts on Thursday, Basin Reserve Wellington 
the windiest place on earth, pretty much. May as well be on Mawson Base, this joint. It's uh, it's always windy at Basin Reserve. Windy Wellington, a 9am Aussie start. So uh, know what I'll be. I'll be dropping children at said state schools and heading back and sitting up on the couch for this one. And you're going to be working on the commentary hat. So looking forward to that. Australia won their past four test series in New Zealand. Haven't lost a test in New Zealand since 1993. The New Zealand have it in them from what you've seen in the past 24 months to change that statistic? Well, every time we play New Zealand in recent time, they've been ranked number one. They're coming off a great Test Series win. But last time they were out here, they didn't compete with us. Mm. Um, and, and that's going to be the belief that New Zealand have to get over to going into this Test Series. Do they believe that they can compete with this Australian team? Our bowlers are as good as any year at the moment. Three outstanding fast bowlers with Nathan Lyme, Kane Williamson. Let, let's be honest, he, he's the big wicket. A, mm. a lot of their energy comes off the of the back of what Kane Williamson does with the bat. And, and he's only got an average of 41 uh, against Australia. Against other countries, it, it's up around 50. He's been probably the best batsman out of New Zealand. But just to tick his legacy piece off, mm. he'd love to lead New Zealand with the bat in a Test Series win against Australia. So, tail of the tape of the two teams, New Zealand coming off a 2-0 Test Series win over South Africa L, I'll call them, not B, not C, all the way down in the not alphabet. Touching that. Uh, Australia, a 4-1 summer at home, but a winning streak of zero after what happened at the Gabba and Shamar Joseph against the West Indies. So, some storylines to work out, look out for, and you mentioned it there with Kane Williamson, the big wicket for New Zealand, even though Ravindra is a player on the rise and a player that we love watching. Steve Smith, Kane Williamson, both 32 test tons. Does Ego play a part here? Who's the better? I don't think Who's Ego. has got a better record? Not, not with these two. They're not that sort of player. They're both obviously world-class at, at their trade, but it's going to be interesting because Australia only scored two centuries. One was David Warner and the other one was Travis Head during the summer. So Steve Smith found himself in a new position. In that loss against the West Indies at the Gabba, he found some real rhythm in his game. Shamar Joseph was outstanding. The ball was intimidating by with great pace. But what we got to remember from that, there was one person in total control at the other end and, and that was Steve Smith. And and in recent times, if you look at the New Zealand team, it's it's been Kane Williamson. Every second game, he's scoring 100. He's, he was on fire during the recent series uh, against South Africa. But can he handle this Australian attack? That would be playing on the, the back of his mind. I'd love a successful uh, series against Australia. They're, they've been a, our Achilles heel for some time. And I'd imagine Kane Williamson would mm. love to be at the forefront of, of leading New Zealand to a victory over Australia. They've had some great technicians, New Zealand, in their middle order. You, you go back to Martin Crow, for instance, yep. who, who stylishly who's one of the best to yep. watch. Um, others with different traits, Stephen Fleming scored a stack of test runs, yep. Ross Taylor as well. But is Kane their be best? Yeah, I think best so. Ever. He's I, best I think statistically. But. Statistically, he's the best, but I don't think Kane Williams can be thinking about that. Mm -hmm. What what will put him apart to everyone is if he can lead New Zealand in a Test Series win against Australia. Do they do the, the, the old Australian thing of like prioritising? 100%. That week, and how do they go about it tactically? Well, tactically, you've got to make life uncomfortable from Kane Williamson. Mm -hmm. the, the one thing he, he can do at times, he, he looks like he's in total control. And the one thing with this Australian attack, you, you've got three different quicks that, that complement each other. You'll have Green and, and also Marsh if needed, Nathan Lyon. So the one thing they've got to do is is make life uncomfortable for Kane Williams to score. 
every run he gets, he, he's got to fight for, build pressure, create um, an uncomfortable environment in the field. And all of a sudden then the energy from from that, the rest of the New Zealand team will, will see that if you can and put the pressure on Kane Williamson there, get him to make a poor decision. All of a sudden there's a lot of pressure then on the middle order, late order and and the batters at the top. So, uh, yeah, it's about targeting Kane Williamson. So Australia's middle order during the summer didn't have a fantastic return. Marnus averaged 28, Cam Green 21, Travis Head 25. Is this the soft spot for Australia that maybe New Zealand can exploit? Or do you expect one, if not two of those guys to have a big two test? Well, I, I expect that those guys to improve. They're two class of players. Marnus is has been in a, a four slump for some time. We, we haven't seen a lot of Marnus actually over the last couple of months. And and knowing his, or months, sorry, uh, knowing his personality, hmm. he'll be away working on, on those weaknesses. I read something the other day that, yes, he he has found himself playing the balls he shouldn't outside off stumps. So I, I don't expect the, the middle order to look as, as bad statistically as they did during the summer. But the, the one thing for New Zealand when they're going into the game and, and they've got to have really clear plans up the top and is if we do get um, the new ball right and got to think about taking mm. wickets, maybe they then can think, okay, put a little bit of pressure on this middle order. But uh, I expect them to, to be a, a lot more solid than they were this summer. Can't imagine Marnus, who's been involved for Queensland and, and Big Bash as well since the last test, that he's just drifted off to the beach and no not thought way. about cricket. He's uh, he's thought deeply about everything. In your time, who was the guy that was having a little bit of a blip who worked his way out of it like you wouldn't believe, just went into this bubble of thought to try and get himself out of any kind of mini slump that he might have been in? Well, you know what? How I'm going to answer that is every player that's played for Australia. Yeah. Because what what happens, you, you get to, to play in Australia with a certain amount of ability. You've got to... Um, runs behind you, hopefully in state cricket, and the quality jumps. Opposition's IQ cricket-wise jump, and, and eventually you, you go through a, a patch of whether it be a good patch, but you, you do go that lower patch and, and come out of the game. So you've got to go away back and reinvent yourself all the time. Do you trust what you're doing? Uh, do I have to tighten my technique? So at every stage, someone's gone through the same as Manus. So and that can be sometimes, it doesn't have to be technique. Mm. It can be a mindset change. Oh, I ever put too much pressure on myself. Is the, the enormity of the series um, got the better of me? Someone like Matthew Hayden even went through it, who was the best opener I've ever played with. I, I remember he didn't score the runs he wanted in 2005. Ash has got 100 in the last test and all of a sudden his career just took off again. Yeah. But who went to the end of normality to try and do it? Well, you, you look at guys like JL. Yeah, they they reinvented himself. He he was one of those uh, grafty players who who just put a high price on his wicket. Then he came back into the Australian team after being called back into that that oval Test match in the Ashes, and all of a sudden he he was the uh, the attacking player. He, he was mm. a player that took the game on from um, ball one, gave the the energy to the Australian in. So they went away, reinvented himself, and and look at the success they had. Rachin Ravindra hads. He looks the real deal. I mean, he handled whatever occasion was in front of him at the World Cup mostly, and that's like kind of announcing himself on the international stage. Turned a maiden test 100 into 240. He looks technically with it. He'll get found out a little bit. They'll pick holes in him. But how big a series are you expecting from this young man? Well, Ravindra at the moment has an appetite for big events. Hmm. You have to look what he did in the World Cup. He enjoyed that stage. He didn't get overawed. 
as you said, he turned his first 100 into 240. So he's got an appetite to bat for long periods of time. And, and that's what you need to coming up against this Australian attack. But it's going to be interesting for him because this is going to be a real test. He, he mm. hasn't, with the success he's had, Australia will pick him apart. They'll pick him apart in, in the analytics. They'll have some really clear plans. And it's whether then he he has the appetite to stand in front of these Australian quicks and, and take them on. Have you seen anything that suggests that one area is a big concern for him, that he's he's trying to mask with other well, great parts of his game at the moment? Well, the the, the one thing I think is, it's going to be interesting is the relentless pressure. With the three Australian fast bowlers, it's going to consistently come. You've you mm. got Cummins, you've got Hazelwood, you've, you've got Stark. And then also for a left-hander, you've got Nathan Lyon. Yeah. He, he'll be, as soon as he walks out, he, he'll be in the captain's ear, give me a go, give me a go, give me a go. <laughs> so it, this is the first time I think he's got four world-class fast bowlers. There's nowhere to um, relax. Yeah. If you, if you just lose your concentration for just a fraction of a second, that's where they'll pounce. So, but... At the moment, everything he's done has been of a high class. Is that the difference at this level, especially with these guys who have been there and done that? We'll speak to Casper a bit later on. Interested on his thoughts on where he places this current crop with the crop that he was involved yeah. with nearly 20 years ago. But with guys like this, you, you might get one ball that you don't really need to deal with per over, maybe two against these guys, whereas opposed to other attacks, it might be three, might be four. You might get two good ones where you really have to be on your toes for. Well, what happens? You're yeah. not on your toes for every ball, but you know what I mean. Playing Test cricket is about recognising big moments, and, and mm. there's going to be stages where you, you you might have hazeled from one end and come over from the other, and you get through that spell, and you, and you go and talk to your batter in the middle, and oh, well done, we've we've got through that. That was a big occasion. Um, mm. Go back to the end and set. All of a sudden, you relax for that split second, and Stark and Lyon gets you. So this would be the first time he's he's had four world-class bowlers. There's no place to, to relax. And in saying that, everything he's done, he, he's done well. He, he's done of high class. So he, he'll be yeah. looking forward to this challenge also at this stage in career because at the end of this series, this will give him a really good marker mm. about where he's at in his cricket. Yeah, he's taken every step so far. So you, you can't really um, say that he's he's going to fail this series, that the end is nigh for his ascendancy. But uh, we'll wait and see against the class of Australia. Young quick William O'Rourke took nine wickets on debut in the second test uh, in that series against South Africa and setting up a bit of a, a conflict and emotion for us here, Hads, at Willow Talk. Uh, William's nickname is Willow. We want him to do well, don't we? Oh, I don't know. Like, well, I'm, I'm going to put aside who we, what we represent mm. uh, twice a week here at Willow Talk and say, I hope he fails. Yeah, well, so do With I. all due respect yeah. to him. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the one thing he's got in his favor is pace. Yeah. Shamar Joseph, we, we've seen the recent test series that Australia struggled at times with, with the pace. And, mm. and to beat this Australian team, you, you need someone to intimidate. And that's the role he can play. He's, he's only young. And you've got to be careful when, when you're a young fast bowler against Australia that you don't let emotions get the better move. If he comes out after Australia, I'm going to knock their heads off and he's off length. All of a sudden, he's, he's going at eight and over and he can't build it back. But if he's used right, he can be using short spells to, to intimidate. Mm. But you, you speak a bit about Wagner's role with Steve Smith with a short ball barrage in 2009 and 2020. He got him, I think, five times in four tests. Mm. I don't know if he's got the pace to do it anymore. Yeah. No, I don't think he's got the stamina to consistently do it, but 
a, a young O'Rourke might. Yeah. Um, so you, you might see him using um, short spells for for a bit of intimidation. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he goes because if he's not on his mark, mm. pace will go a long way. When I say fail, I hope he fails. I don't really mean that, but I kind of yes, do. do. <laughs> I kind of do. Don't Just sit on the fence. Series. Don't sit on the fence. I'd love him to rip through England or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so would that'd be all. great. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. Just not in this series. Willow, all the best, pal. <laughs> love you. Love your name. Just not you, the cricketer, for these next couple of weeks. I remember when Dave Warner uh, debuted in that T20 at the MCG and there was a bit of pop about him. There, there was, the, oh, wow, let have a look at this bloke because yeah. there was a reputation coming in. Not, not saying that young William's there, but he's, you know, maybe cultivated a bit of hope through his opening uh, test, his first ever test thing. Do you remember any kids coming in that had this massive boom that was, was almost unfortunate for them because – how on earth could you live up to it? Well, Dave Warner did. I, yeah, I, I think Sean Tate had that. And, and Tate probably wasn't the su- success he should have been at Test Cricket. Mm. He, he came in, everyone wanting to see him bowl 160 Ks every ball. This is why Brett Lee's so unique in, in what he did for a long period of time. But Tate's body probably couldn't have handled the demands of Test Cricket and, and all the hype around. He had a good, well, okay, one-day career for, mm. for Australia, but we probably didn't see the best of him in test cricket bit because of the demand on his body. So well, really with physics, I mean, it, and, and biology and all that, yep. the, the human body is probably not designed to bowl at 160 Ks an hour consistently. No. Well, that, that's even what, 150. Well, that's why Brett Lee's career is so unique. Yeah. That, no one's been able to have that 150 ball mm. in their armory for 10 years. And, and being a still not as much at the start as, as at the end when, now and then, he'd, he'd still have 150 Ks up his sleeve for one ball every couple mm. of games in the sixes. So that that's why he was uh, such a freak of an athlete. Yeah, and that's why his, his young fella's not a bad batter because he's facing that <laughs> from the old man in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Got used to quick pace real quick. Mate, intimidating. Uh, Lee Jr., New Zealand crowd. So let's get to this to, to end this little segment before we get Casper on. The first four days at the Basin sold out already. Forecast, which is like verging on a miracle in Wellington, looks okay. Do you expect it to be typical Kiwi, just niggly Hope consistently? So. <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> That's what you want. You, you know when, when England come out, um, the Kiwis come out, mm. you, you know our crowd's going to be one-eyed. And you don't want New Zealand to be any different. That that's part of the the beauty of of going and and playing at the grounds like Basin Reserve and Eden Park. And can you hear them? Really, like a place like Basin oh, looks. They're right dismal. there. It's like a gray, um, grey ground. They're, yeah. they're right there at the fence. And I expect yeah. the one copying it the most and had the most fun with it mm. will be Nathan Lyon. Yeah, he'll have a bit of fun and Travis Head. Well, Trav, given what he did, like late in the summer. He's going to be under the lid the whole time, won't he? he? He won't get out in the deep too much. Maybe if the field's spread, he'll be out well, there. With, with the spinners, he Trav yeah. seems to find his way out to deep point or deep backward <laughs> square. Yeah. So but both those guys will, will have some fun. Yeah. I, I think the the fast bowlers, they'll, they'll be oblivious to it. They, they won't. But the, those, two, um, yeah. th- those two will engage a bit. Which, which player jumps out at you as a guy who just loved giving it back? To the crowd. No, no, maybe not being as jovial as some of like a Merv Hughes in front of Bay 13, but, you know, just flew it back at the crowd saying, no, I'm not signing on any of your stinking autographs or. <laughs> I, I tell you one that got the crowd going that shocked me more than anything mm. was Peter Siddle yeah. at the Boring in really? Joburg. Ooh. I, I remember playing a series against South Africa and 
that they beat us here in Australia and, and Stain went after us, our tail a bit mm. uh, with a short ball, was quite intimidating. Peter Siddle didn't say anything to anyone in the team meetings, nothing. Stain came out to bat. He went around the wicket. And this is where Sids then could get the ball around 145, 150 k's. And he just went after Stain. And I remember first ball, he just went, whoo, around Strong the wicket. Armpit. Mate, just missed him. He's hit the deck. <laughs> He's standing over it. And all of a sudden, the bull ring came alive. Ooh. And we just went, whoa, <laughs> where did this come from? So, um, yeah, he got the crowd going. And as much as I've ever seen before, and the boring was quite intimidating. Yeah. Remember Merv Hughes walking up the the race and, mate, that, they had little kids at New Words and, mate, you shouldn't know now. <laughs> <laughs> was that that bet? Like that, yeah. And they still have it. Yeah. And it's enclosed. You've got nowhere to go. No. no. You just got to. Just cop it. Yeah. Just go. But. Well, they bang on it, do yeah, they? Yeah, they, they bang on it. They they throw Gatorade at your shoes. <laughs> oh, awesome. But the, the thing about it, but. It's all, you never felt unsafe, hmm. but it was just a one-eyed. And, and that's what the beauty of test cricket is when, whether you go to India, South Africa, and, and the Kiwis will be the same. The, the rivalry, not only in cricket, but in, in rugby and in rugby league now and, and that as well. So, yeah, you, you want to see a bit of passion from the crowd because as a player, it also makes the, the environment out there a lot of fun. Where do our crowds rank in all of this? Because we always talk oh, about the intimidating. We're one-eyed. We're intimidating? Yeah. Yeah? We yeah. know ourselves? Yeah. We at the top of the list in that regard? Or you were always in the centre, Oh, obviously. no, no. We we did our, our bit to um, get the Australian crowds into the game when we needed them. Okay. Oh, very good. Yeah. Very accommodating. How how did you do that? Mate, just sort of made sure that they knew what we appreciated what they were doing. <laughs> okay, fair. fair enough. Uh, we're going to have a little breather. The great Michael Kasper is going to join us shortly. We are back with this week's special guest on Willow Talk, Michael Kasparitz, a legend of Australian cricket and Queensland cricket as well. I've got to mention that. Queensland doesn't get enough mentions on this podcast. It's always talking about how good WA is and had's having a whinge about New South Wales. But Kasper, um, thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, really appreciate your time. And we're on the cusp of a test series against New Zealand. So let's hop straight back to 05 and a pretty hot side you're involved with. What are your memories of touring a place like New Zealand? Well, thanks very much for the intro. I'm flat out remembering last week normally, but I'll... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, I know that it, it was hugely successful series. We won, uh, of course, the first international T20 match. We played that too. Then we won, uh, I think, the Test Series 3-0 and then 2-0. Two, 2-0. Nil. Nil, two, two and then 3... Sorry, then 5-0 in the, in the one days. So mm. it was a really successful trip. It was a good fun trip as well. Oh, look, my memories are just... It was actually everyone playing, you know, really well the whole way through. Um, it was a good team set up. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Were you on this trip, Hads? You went the Ashes Tour in 05 as a kind of standby for Gilly. But did you make this one or are you back over here playing a bit of Shield? No, I didn't make that one. But I, I'm glad we've got Casper at a distance, actually. Mm. He bullied me, him and Bick and Hados and Simo for the first part of my career, yeah. There's some big humans involved there. Huge humans, <laughs> huge. But I, I remember, I think, early 2000s and and they were bullying us once again at the Gabba. We, we only signed in mm. our hotel room for two and a half days and spent the that night at City Rowers. But um, <laughs> I remember touring with Casper in 2005 and, and coming back and saying, mate, they're good blokes, these Queenslanders. <laughs> like, you've got to go in the change room after the game when yeah. New South Wales and Queensland play and have a beer with them and realise they're only trying to get under your skin because, Casper, you spent <laughs> the best part of five years bullying me. 
Oh, look, that's that's nice. I'm, I'm very flatter, very flattering of you, um, Hats. I got to say, and considering um, a lot of the, the when you say the bowling, there was a lot of conversation down yes, um, at the bats, the batting end, and of course, when you got the ball in your hand, you're right up the other end. You got your back to it, or you're down at fine legs. So, I can't say I'm actually was responsible for really getting stuck into you verbally, but um, any time chance with the ball, absolutely. And, and I, I, I want to just. Um, point out, I'm actually flattered also that you thought, you know, you're surprised that the Queenslanders were good blokes. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a surprise, you know, because they were just a, a granted, I would have thought. Hey, Casper, who was the leading conversationalist then oh, of that, that team? Pick. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, depends on, in a general sense, I know Matthew Hayden used to say about it, but he was too busy away with the Australian side, obviously, yeah. and mm. um, and maybe I'll come back to him in a second. But the other thing, I guess there's always plenty of uh, energy, is the word, uh, from a Jimmy Marr um, or an Andrew Simons, uh, just, just sort of, you know, around that sort of gully point, maybe second slip. In through there, there was, uh, you know, like I said, energy. It was just, um, it's just got the batsman thinking about something other than watching the ball. What were you being accused of, Hads, in terms of you as a person or an individual walking the face of earth? No, I, I was just accused of walking on the field against uh, Queensland. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it wasn't all one way. What, as in, what are you doing out here? Well, it, it was some pretty um, fierce battles at the time. And I remember just starting uh, my first class career, but it, it gave you a great insight to, to what first class cricket then meant to the States. Queensland at that time were, mm. were dominating. They had guys as on the fringe of the Australian team and we had the whole Australian team from the New South Wales setup. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, some great rivalry, but it was a great introduction to what first-class cricket was all about. I bet. I bet. Casper, just back to that 05 series, because we picked that one out because it was a an amazing time for Test cricket because obviously what happened a few months later in England happened with that um, the Ashes series for the ages. But that, that tour of New Zealand... Uh, <laughs> Well, that lineup that Australia had, and you were a big part of it. You were taking wickets for fun in this in this Test lineup. You had McGrath, Warren, Gillespie, yourself. You had Brett Lee in and out of the team. It was you and Brett Lee charging in for for that extra pace spot, and you were keeping Brett Lee out of the squad at that time. What what are your memories of that particular period? Oh, look, it was it's great. I think that's why the fast ball is always really close in every side, and there's a real respect is what was going on in that with that sort of bunch in that where everyone knows that you're trying hard and and I suppose in some a lot of ways for me uh, I sort of under, understood my, my place where you fit um, you never I was never first picked but I managed to find a way in that Australian side over a ten year period I think it was thirteen times I was in and out of that Australian squad for thirteen times over ten years and I was introverted a function down in Melbourne uh, a few years ago as the guy who had more recalls than Daihatsu. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but I think that gave me an insight and maybe a really um, unique perspective of that Australian side where you actually had a look at the team and, and a bit like your own kids. Um, when you're around them every day, you don't notice change. But if you go away for a week, then you come home, bang, things are certainly when they're young. You really do notice it. And I think with that Australian side, I had a real good sort of insight into into the people, um, you know, I suppose, and, and the theme, I suppose, the themes that were going on and also the tone. So that was why, you know, talk about 2005, uh, the Ashes series there, there were some things that popped up there that before then, before the whole series, we never we never spoke about. Uh, what do you mean? In what regard? Well, put it this way, it was the first time in that 10-year period I've ever heard the word luck used in an Australian dressing room. 
So, and the only team, when you think about it, the only team that talks about luck happens to be the loser. They talk about being unlucky. Whereas yeah. the Australian cricket team never required, didn't need luck, you know, just went out there and did it. And I mm. think where we did, we did have some um, uh, some things happen, maybe Edgebaston, second test, uh, right hand off the bat at the time, law 34.1 MCC laws of cricket, not out, thanks Billy Bowden. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, there was, I think Caddo had a, a shocking LB and then just those little yep. things. And if you start to feel unlucky, guess what? You are. And I think that was just something there. I don't know if you found that too, Hads. But um, it was just, they played out of their skin, essentially, and Mm. we felt like we, it was bloody weird, because we felt like we needed things to go our way. That hadn't been the case before. Well, it was an interesting tour for me. That was the the first full tour I'd been on with this great Australian team, and I've been on many tours now as a player and part of the squad, but I've never, ever felt energy of a whole country against one team Mm. that I did in the 2005. But going back to that, Casper. Was it the loss Australia needed? Is that a true statement or is it one of those, no, you, you never want to win, uh, lose, you want to win all the time? Of course you want to win all the time. And it's not like a football season whereby you've got, you know, it's the loss you had to have to get, you know, just to slap you about so that you're right for the finals. Um, yeah, and maybe that was it. It was just that sort of, there was plenty of times that the Australian side were under the pump uh, in all of, lots of places, not just in the subcontinent. And but you found a way. You found a way to fight your way through. And the fact of the matter is, we just came across this England side, who on paper were nowhere near as good, um, but somehow played out of their skin and came. You know, really came. A, found an opportunity. Um, and like Andrew Flintoff, um, he had, didn't have a series like that ever again. With the net sessions, and, and Hads has always said about the intensity of international cricket in preparation is unlike nothing you experience at state level for good reason because you've got a higher calibre of player and they're more cutthroat and they know what they need to do to prepare. How did you find that? Like obviously we see press conferences, we see what goes out on the middle, but in between test matches, both in New Zealand and trying to get it done there and you and Brett Lee going for a spot and then over at the Ashes with all that, the whole country against you, what were what were some of those net sessions like and, and practice sessions trying to get everyone on the same page, page pu- pushing in the right direction? Well, I remember um, oh, we played uh, some one-days first, didn't we, Hads? Mm. We're Bang- Bangladesh, um, <laughs> Bangladesh, and some people had some birthday parties in um, yep. Cardiff, and some people <laughs> some stayed out all night and ended up not playing. Um, Stretching their hammies on a wheelie bin, yeah, all that. Yeah, yep. that was the one. Yeah. He um, anyway, but it was it was sort of one we we were under the pump right from the start, um, and really feeling like, geez, you know, it's not quite there. I remember. You know, and there was even like in the tour games and there's some media around and, and little, I guess as players, you're looking to other players um, for just advice or help or um, assistance. You're looking at the, obviously the coaches that are there. And we were quite fortunate where we had um, Merv Hughes, who was over there in his tour. He was a selector of that Australian side of the, at the period of time as well. He was over there. And so he's come to training, which was a great resource, you know, former great Australian bowler coming here. I know Dizzy was feeling just off a little bit at the time. And, and anyway, we sort of thought, oh, great, we'll get Merv, we'll line him up and great next session. Just before um, Edgebaston, it was before, I remember the Nets going to the, just before the game, all said, I know Binger was playing, Dizzy was playing and also uh, McGrath before he stepped on the ball. So they, they were all sort of lined up there as a team. and But Merv was sort of all set to, you know, as a resource. 
Dizzy went over looking for Merv and all of a sudden Merv wasn't there and we couldn't find him anywhere. It's sort of a session, everyone's together. Turns out Matthew Hayden, Matthew Hayden pinched him to throw, to put balls in the bowling machine for an hour because Matthew Hayden wanted to hit in the bowling machine. He got Merv and, and I'm not saying, yeah, I, I just think that was the wrong use of resource <laughs> in that side. There was plenty of other hands to, to feed a ball in a bowling machine. But just those little things, there was a couple of those little Barbie things that sort of were happening and maybe that conspired. I thought you were going to say Merv was over at the pub across the road having a Tetley's for breakfast, So, uh, <laughs> which could have been the case as well uh, on his tour group. But um, how was that? Was it a rivalry with Brett Lee in those days? Or was it – because it's a weird situation where you, you're supporting each other but you're trying to be better than the other guy. Yeah. Oh, and for me, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. I didn't ever felt like that. I just thought if you take the opportunity or get the opportunity, just do your best you can. Of course, being a you know, bowling 150K an hour, <laughs> had, you know, it's extraordinary, um, you know, as an athlete and everything you did. And so and knowing that what I was doing was, was, was different, you know, it's up to the selectors to, you know, to pick the teams and all that sort of stuff. And being it was always, always going to be a star, you know, that's sort of pace there. So I think for me, you know, it was, no, I never felt like that. And same with Dizzy, Pigeon, and even Sean Tate, you know, on that tour. Tate was on that tour as well. He got a little bit injured, but the type of thing where I just found that throughout my whole career, it was all about sharing. And I know certainly for Queensland, going back, to, you know, any time to the Queensland team in the 19 seasons I played for the ball for Queensland, it was all about going back and just sharing everything to uh, every young fast bowler coming through and, you know, sort of often makes you a little bit better yourself. Casper, you, you talk about sharing. We're, we're an amazing group of fast bowlers at, at the moment. We start Camo and, and Hazelwood, but they've been really resilient also. Uh, we, we haven't seen a lot of turnover in, in players for, for some time. Do, is it something we need to to start to look at with, with this three? Do we, we need to broaden the uh, umbrella uh, a little bit to, to find some more? We sort of began doing that anyway, aren't we, with all the one days and the T20s, all the other competitions. But test cricket's test cricket. You want to play your best players all the time there. I realise that, you know, we could, you know, give some people a go. But what I'd love to see is um, all those, the, the, the bench, if you like, everyone um, really yep. put pressure onto... On you know on the players by just dominating, go and dominate shield cricket, you know just just through pure performance. So, and I guess that's the other thing. In back in the day, before the bowling, um, the concept of bowling workloads it was more so just you're playing bowling. You know, one, two, and three were picked with one or two or three got injured, then number four went up, and it was just that sort of race. That was the rotation Natural. policy. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, so I'm not saying you've got to get back to that because uh, obviously the sports scientists have got themselves a seat in the dressing room, got themselves some importance in there, and that's what we're sort of, um, you know, that's that's what we're doing these days. Uh, but mind you, I should say, the fastballs today are so much better, so much better than I think we ever were, not only into the fitness and strength, but I'm just loving watching, as you said, the, the combo. Um, having three, three Australian test fast bowlers, each with 250 poles, wickets, is just an extraordinary moment in time and it's something we've got to celebrate. 
Absolutely. And it'll be over um, before we know it. So you'll look back on this era like we do those those lineups that you were a part of, Casper, as well, and, and how good they were and how much depth they had to them. I did read something somewhere once that said that not only were sports scientists coming into the dressing room, maybe in your era as well, but burgeoning journalistic careers were forged on tour by certain <laughs> players who bought out, bought out a newsletter when you were on tour. Um can you fill us in in some of the details and uh, with this little rumour? Well, I think it's in the days before the Batuta Advocate. Mm. It, was, it was really, um, yeah, it was an opportunity, I think maybe done out of boredom over in India. <laughs> but I did do an in-house um, oh, a little a newsletter, I call it a newsletter. Um, yeah. Quality, quality newsletter, of course. But Quality reading. Uh, well, yeah. I actually had um, uh, pictures as well, um, but it was called the Mumbai Mumbler. <laughs> and the reason why the reason why I felt um, it was just a lot of amusing things happen in India and you see and you read. So I thought mm-hmm. I'd put that. And I thought if I focus on the Australian career team, it was all about um, if anyone was going to write unsolicited rubbish about the Australian team, about, you know, it may as well be us. We may as well be doing it ourselves. So at least that mm-hmm. way we'll, yeah. So we, it was great. We actually interviewed some of the players. I'm not sure you got interviewed, Hads. I think you just you you maybe figured more so in uh, in the in the pictorial section because you had a splinter, <laughs> didn't you? Wasn't you get a, a stump or something? No, I got the only s- time. Oh, I remember my, my first recollection. Come on. Um, <laughs> you do remember. No, You're trying to deflect no. here. What was that story, Casper? Uh, no, 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 no. I just did the pictorial. So I think there was. Um, okay. Did you get a. Uh, I thought it was a, a splinter or something like that. Anyway, there was. I might have um, found a picture of a bloke that had half a, a, a tree uh, impaled <laughs> in his leg. So I thought, you know, I figured that might be that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can re- what I can remember is the first when I was on standby, and and you remember this as a, as a player in 2001, yeah. was I was standby for the test in Calcutta. It was the first time I got exposed to test cricket. Gilly was mm. injured. I played the tour match uh, before, my first experience in the in the subcon. And, and I remember running the drinks that day. And remember the crowd, Casper, there was 50,000 stadium, there's 75,000 there. And, and you're meant to be sitting there going, how good of opportunity is, is this? Might it be great to be out there playing test cricket. And all I was thinking is, holy shit, Gilly, do not get injured before the toss because I am not ready for this shit. Mate, what about that crowd? Uh, it's, it's nuts. Um, back in the day when test cricket was, was um, yeah, pretty solid, well supported, as you said, it was a 50,000 seat seated stadium, yeah. but there was at mm. least 75,000 bodies in there. Um, <laughs> oh, I used to joke too that you'd be standing there and then the field and you'd, and you'd back, back to the crowd, but you'd sort of feel all of a sudden something hit you in the back and it'd turn around and be a rock on the floor or, you know, some, I've heard of batteries and things like that. Yeah. And you'd turn around, you'd turn around and sort of have a go at someone and there's all these police, there's police the whole way around the ground all looking at you and they're smiling at you and the crowd's obviously smiling at you but so are the police and that's just the corporate area so uh <laughs> so, <that's, laughs> so just a match so anyway it was good but then it was, it was one of the i reckon the most challenging thing personally i've ever done and the cricket you play there against the best players in the world on these conditions that don't necessarily suit certainly a fast bowler there's no grass in the wicket it's probably not even a living organism in it i reckon and I reckon that was where it was just the most challenging thing, but at the same time, possibly the most rewarding because ultimately you're playing cricket for Australia, representing your country, and that's what was was so great about the experience. Well, 
was it great bowling to Laxman and Dravid for what felt like about eight days in that uh, <laughs> unbelievable partnership? Yeah, it was that was extraordinary. It was maybe you know, like a, a flint off or someone like that Ashes series, the best their players coming off for India to win that that game. Um, obviously, it was extraordinary, um, and they had to do something special, and they did. Now we had won sixteen consecutive Test matches. We'd won sixteen straight. Um, mm. including the first test in three days. So Matthew Hayden scored 200. Um, you remember Hads? He swept. Yep. That's where, back in the day when the, they could execute a sweep shot in India. Um, <laughs> so anyway, he had us scored 200. We won in three days. So it wasn't certainly not arrogance at all. And Steve Waugh made sure that it was never that was the case. But it was a real confidence in the team. We're going, we're right on top of you against India. We scored, oh, I don't know, what, four, maybe 50, 60, then bowled them out for 200, 200, whatever in a bit, but enough for a follow-on, the follow-on, that old concept where you'd send the team back in when you're on top. What's that? Anyway, yeah, the sports scientists got rid of that one too. Were you happy when Steve Waugh did that? Yeah, absolutely, because that's what we kept doing against New South Wales at the Gabba for plenty of years. And a reverse at the SCG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you, you would because the thing is that you're right on top and then, like I said, it's not an arrogance, but it's a confidence we actually had, I think, India about three for 80-odd, and I'm just mm-hmm. you know, around numbers, three for 80-odd. Um, they're still, you know, 200 and whatever, I don't know, 150-odd of them runs behind. We're going to bat again. So we're right on top. And we actually had Sachin Tendulkar in the sheds. So the next day we've come back out, Rail Dravid and uh, Laxman, BBS Laxman, I think we're over, not out overnight. Now, the next day was one of the most extraordinary days because – they batted the whole day um, and got the lead that they did. Laxman 200 over, um, I think Dravid 180. But when you have McGrath, Gillespie, Warren, and I, you know, part-timer like me as well, we ended up, I don't think there was one, I can't remember, an appeal. I can't remember a half chance <laughs> or a drop catch. But it, I don't know, it was, it, was, it was like that, wasn't it? You, every time we'd come back in after... Yeah, drinks, you know, keep going, keep going, Lions, believe in ourselves, fellas, we're doing the right thing. You came in at um, uh, at lunch, same deal, just, you know, be positive, you know, keep going. Come back after tea, last session, and you said, all of a sudden, you know, I think um, even Matthew Hayden had a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it was just one of the more, more yeah, unreal days, like not real. Casper, out of, out of your 38 test matches, though, Every time a touring team went to India or the subcontinent, you'd have the captain. Mm. And Casper, you were the second name on the team list all the time. <laughs> well, what do you think that was? Do you, do you think it was you just – you, journalism, that's well, why. That too. But was it – some people go to think, oh, no, this is a tough challenge. I don't know what to – is you embraced yeah. that part of the game? Yeah, I did. Absolutely. I think 1998 when I went there the first time, I was um, – everyone else was uh, conveniently perhaps. They were all injured. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't make, make it. But I think we went over there. We lost the series. Um, first two test matches, 23 tests. The first two tests, poor rifle. It was two quicks, uh, Rifle and Kasprovich, Warren and Gav Robertson, right? And what happened yep. was that, yeah, Pistol got injured the first innings. Um, so it was me and two spinners and a couple of part-timers. And then the second test, we had Blocker Wilson, big Paul Wilson, he made his debut. Um, he lasted, I think, about five or six overs, <laughs> yep. and then he got injured. And so, once again, <laughs> I had to bowl. And 
So I actually lost, I reckon I lost about oh, 10, nearly 15 kilos in about three weeks. And it was just, you know, through the conditions and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, come the third test, we're playing at Chinnaswamy Stadium in Bangalore. And I remember speaking with Javagal Srinath, who's their, their strike bowler. Yeah. I was just chatting to him before the game and that already won the series. I asked him, I said, mate, um, it was good. He was sort of talking about, you know, all sorts of things. And I said, oh, what about reverse swing? How's that work? He said, look, all you got to do is keep the rough side of the ball bone dry because everyone's, it's 40 degrees, everyone's yeah. so wet in the arms and all that. So if you keep that rough side just dry because it's naturally wearing in, there's nothing to do with any sorts of grade of sandpaper, that's for sure. And all it was was Oops. simply this to keep that dry. So we, I actually said to the team, I said, right, this is what we're going to do. So instead of the ball going from keeper to a slip to a gully to a point and every set of hands on the way, it was virtually least hands the better. And I remember even as a bowler walking over with two fingers and get to mid off and grabbing the ball in two fingers. Um, and then bang, all of a sudden we have a swing it. Five for 28. Um, I got the man of the match. We won the test match first time in 30 years. But coming, that's laying up the answer for your question, why I was picked. I went, I had Crash Craddock come to me. Um, now Crash, he was News Limited yeah. head cricket journal. Anyway, he said, Casper, tell me, why do you like India so much? Because I always just was positive with it. It's a great experience like I did with you guys. And I said to Crash, put it, way, put it this way, mate, I'm the fashionable bowler for unfashionable tours. <laughs> and straight away I knew that that was, as a journo, that's going to be his headline. And it was. Casper, you know, the, I'm the fashionable bowler for unfashionable tours. So that was, that was kind of why. And I think that was where they started doing it. They started calling me a bit of a, a subcontinent specialist. So every time Australia went to to India or, pa- or the choice places like Pakistan and Bangladesh and, and Sri Lanka. Yeah, I was, I was, they were, they were writing about and putting me in there. Um, I did actually mention to him at the time, I'm, I actually enjoy, uh, I would have enjoyed the West Indies, but I just never got picked. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you made your debut against the Windies at the Gabba yeah, on your home ground. But in uh, the West last Indies. One, no, yeah. Last one for you, Casper. Of your 38 tests, get, I'll, I'll give you three options. The biggest miracle that you witnessed. Uh, and maybe you might have a fourth option, but I'll, I'll, out of three, the Luxman Dravid uh, partnership, the uh, Billy Bowden forgetting the laws of cricket in a rather big moment at Edgebaston, <laughs> or McGrath and Gillespie scoring half centuries oh. against New Zealand at the Gabba. Um, I'm going to go the um, I'm going the Luxman yeah Dravid one okay. in particular. I have never had any doubt in, you know, certainly uh, the lower order batsman in the Australian side. What I what I did particularly enjoy, though, I think we all did, was Jason Gillespie's celebration um, of getting <laughs> his 50, where he, he tucked the bat between his legs right. and started riding yeah. it like a horse. But just on Glenn McGrath, that's a miracle, is it not? Well, the, the miracle is that he's a left-hander. <laughs> to, to go out and get a 50 in a test match using your opposite hand, Casper, that's extraordinary. Look, seriously, that's just amazing. <laughs> well, the, generally, generally I, the only time I've ever really get asked about, you know, McGrath's batting or, or averages or top scores and things like that is generally from uh, Damien Fleming because he likes to point out that I never scored 50 <laughs> at test grade level. <laughs> uh, so I, so whether you're going down the same track, I don't know. But I think, um, no, like I said, um, you know what, the best, the miracle one is actually Jason Gillespie's two hundred one not out. Yeah, well, yes, that's the <laughs> yeah. one you probably. That's the one that probably top them all. Well, that's that's going to pay for his whatever, however long he lasts in cricket. He's got that 
for the afterlife of cricket to just go and tell stories at pubs and and various events for the rest of uh, rest of his time on earth. And you're a great storyteller as well, Casper. And thank you for joining us today on Willow Talk to, to spill a few of them. We're going to get to the bottom of this little uh, Mumbai mumbler or whatever it was. Uh, and who was the, I want to know who the Taylor Swift of uh, that particular publication was in terms of the, the go-to person to get Binger. stories. Binger. Okay, yeah. Cool. Binger. I'll, I'll show, I'll quickly, really quickly, the, the Ashes, we had an Ashes special to the Mumbai mumbler. And yeah. I know we stayed up in Durham, I think, in, an, um, in a like a castle-looking thing. The haunted house, yeah. It was haunted, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had yeah. to obviously write a story about that because um, Shane Watson couldn't sleep in his own room. So he, I think he was with you, Hads. He <laughs> no, came and slept in Binger's room. He, he slept yeah. in Binger's room and, and that's where I sort of pointed out that, you know, that obviously put some faces over some pictures and with the Ghostbusters, you know, wagon outside. But but pointed out that uh yeah that um that what that uh, being the Brett Lee um soothed him with a you know comforted comforted Shane Watson in his his, his high time of needs with a soothing back tickle. <laughs> well it's interesting so- though you, you talk <laughs> you, you you talk about the mumler being in house and, and this is how quick it grew. Yeah. You remember Goffy Bowl in that one day game? The, the, the mumbler oh, yeah. grew and grew and grew, so it was all yeah. over England by the end. He bowled and Shane Watson was batting. He just goes down, boo, <laughs> <laughs> and did sort of a, a Casper the little uh, yeah. ghost uh, to, to water. Yeah, oh, Casper, um, thanks so much, mate. And, uh, yeah, it, it started off mainly looking at the New Zealand series, but bucker that, we had too many good stories <laughs> yeah. to tell of your career. So um, it was good fun, mate. Appreciate yeah, it. thanks. No worries, guys. Hey, thanks a lot. And, uh, yeah. Enjoy, uh, enjoy smashing the Kiwis. Always. Thanks, Casper. <laughs> Cheers, Casper. <laughs> so that's that edition of uh, Willow Talk. Hads, you're off on a plane soon to get over to New Zealand. We'll um, continue the discussions, me on this side of the Tasman, you over there. Um, all I can say is good luck with customs. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one, whether whether I get through. So uh, I think I've got a car waiting. Getaway uh, car. Yep. So I hope that's close to customs <laughs> so I can jump straight in. No, it's going to be a tremendous series. Oh, I can't be. wait. Williamson versus Smith. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Williamson v. Our bowling attack as well. And a few others thrown in. Bavindra as well. We've spoken about him early in the podcast. Hads, travel safe. We'll catch up next week. That was Willow Talk for this week. Have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs>